The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. A brief dip into the GameStop Wall Street mayhem. A new water-is-wet kind of study proving that money indeed can buy you happiness. And the story of some students who just found out that their new professor this semester has been dead for two years. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. All right, so I guess we need to talk about the GameStop and Wall Street thing. So there's this subreddit called Wall Street Bets, and they describe themselves as being like if 4chan found a Bloomberg terminal, which is pretty accurate. Ryan Broderick in his Garbage Day newsletter describes them as, quote, Gen Z libertarian sociopaths and, quote, radicalized post-Gamergate nihilists, end quote. So yeah, you kind of get the idea. They've done large campaigns to make money and upend the balance of Wall Street before, but this latest one is really taking off. Basically, the guys, it's pretty much all guys, the guys at Wall Street Bets noticed Citron Research was shorting the video game store GameStop, basically speculating GameStop's shares would continue to go down. A safe bet, considering GameStop shares have been going down for years. I mean, the company sells physical video games at malls. It's not hard to do the math. And short selling is basically what Citron Research does. But Wall Street Bets doesn't like these kinds of establishment Wall Street blowhards, so they decided to bet against them, just for fun and spite, entering into a sort of battle via investing that's starting to be heralded as a bit of an actual revolution. Predict CEO William Legate called it on Twitter, quote, like the Occupy Wall Street movement, but on their own turf and with real financial consequences, end quote. Because here's what's happened, quoting The Guardian. Last April, when the company announced mass closures, GameStop's shares, GME, could be bought for $3.25 each. On Tuesday, they soared another 92% to end the day at close to $148, pumped up again by small investors hoping to ruin Wall Street's bets that the price would crash. It's a bet that so far has proved very costly for the professional financiers. The strange saga of GameStop's cult status can be traced back to last September, when Ryan Cohen, investor and founder of the online pet food giant Chewy, took a 13% stake in the retailer and started lobbying for it to move more of its business online and become a serious rival to Amazon. Cohen and two associates were added to the company's board in January. And the company's share price began to soar as small investors snapped up a cheap stock using the trading app Robinhood and other services, seizing on what they saw as an ideal buying opportunity. Wall Street saw something else, a chance to short an ambitious bet against Amazon they believed was bound to fail. 
Shorting the stock is risky. It involves borrowing a company's shares and selling them with the intention of buying them back cheaper when the share price falls. Many Wall Street fortunes have been made this way, but if the price doesn't fall, the losses can be huge. About 71.66 million GameStop shares are currently shorted, worth about $4.66 billion. Year to date, those bets have cost investors about $6.12 billion, which includes a loss of $2.79 billion on Monday. Monday's stock gain of 145% in less than two hours, which extends GameStop's gains for the year to more than 300%, is the latest sign that frenetic trading by individual investors is leading to outsized stock market swings, end quote. And for a more current update, as of recording, GameStop's shares are at $330.21, although curiously, it is starting to fall. Most of the major brokerage sites like Robinhood, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab have crashed, although some Redditors are wondering if those crashes are intentional, because Wall Street is sort of fighting back, or at least the talking heads on CNBC are, and as first-time investors post their gains on Reddit, hedge fund managers are freaking out. Things are moving fast, and I barely scratched the surface here because, frankly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all myself. So if you want to keep up with what's going on, I recommend following William Legate on Twitter. And if you want a much more thorough explanation framed especially for people without a lot of background stock market knowledge, I'll put a link to a great explainer piece from Vice in the show notes. And it's all fascinating because there is that element of revolution to it, of ordinary people making a few bucks, or in a rare few cases, a lot of bucks, off of the Wall Street establishment. Is it all a bit shady? I mean, kind of, a little, but really no more so than a lot of other stuff that happens on Wall Street. As Brandy Jensen very succinctly put it on Twitter, Oh no, the wrong people are manipulating the stock market. End quote. And quoting again from Ryan Broderick, The subreddit's users have basically figured out how to work together as a community to rearrange the raw source code of capitalism into a shitty video game. The result is a cascade of speculation bubbles on random nonsense. As much as our Wall Street bet's very existence is a frightening condemnation of late-stage capitalism, it does have a certain purity to it. There's something almost reassuring about the pretenseless acceptance that corporate social media platforms and the stock market run on the same basic machinery, and if you can create enough hype around something through memes, conspiracy theories, and harassment campaigns, you can manifest it into reality via capital. It's both terrifying and liberating to look clear-eyed into the meaningless void at the heart of modern life and accept it for what it is. End quote. And I leave you with one last thing. A 2014 post on Kotki.org showing a 4chan post of someone claiming to use GameStop as their bank. As they explain it, quote, Whenever I get paid, I go pre-order a whole bunch of games. And whenever I need money, I go to the nearest GameStop and ask for my money back on a game I don't want and make a withdrawal. The lines are shorter at GameStop than at the bank, and I can trade in old games and have money go straight to my savings account. End quote. Kinda genius, even as a joke. But hey, maybe that dude knew what was coming. GameStop was clearly the place to put your money. Well, with all of that Wall Street talk, it's time to revisit the age-old question of whether money can actually buy you happiness. And according to a recent study, yes, 
it very much can. So there was a study done back in 2010 by Nobel Prize winners Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton that has since become the go-to citation for the question of money buying happiness. By analyzing Gallup survey data, they found life satisfaction does seem to rise in lockstep with income, and so does emotional well-being, but the latter has a cap at $75,000 a year, or about $90,000 today. But in a new study published yesterday in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, Matthew Killingsworth, found there is no $90,000 or $75,000 cap. Experienced emotional well-being just keeps on rising with income. Killingsworth data comes from an app that he built called Track Your Happiness. He actually started developing the app around the time the original study from Kahneman and Deaton came out, when Killingsworth himself was finishing up his doctorate in psychology at Harvard. The app notifies users randomly to ask about their activities and feelings. For this most recent study, he pulled from 1.7 million experience sampling reports from over 33,000 employed U.S. adults on his app. His respondents skewed slightly more wealthy than the U.S. average. And one key difference between the 2010 study and his, Killingsworth says, is that through using his app, the data gathered on emotional well-being was more in the moment, whereas the Gallup survey data was more retrospective. Quoting Killingsworth, Research distinguishes between two forms of well-being people's feelings during the moments of life, experienced well-being, and people's evaluation of their lives when they pause and reflect, evaluative well-being. The present results show that both experienced and evaluative well-being increased linearly with log or income, with an equally steep slope for high earners as for lower earners. There was no evidence for an experienced well-being plateau above $75,000 a year, contrary to some influential past research. There was also no evidence of an income threshold at which experienced and evaluative well-being diverged, suggesting that higher incomes are associated with both feeling better day-to-day and being more satisfied with life overall, end quote. It's some interesting data to dig into, but I think a lot of us could have answered the question with a simple, uh, duh. Still, it's nice to have the receipts. Ending today with the story of some students in Canada who discovered their new professor has been dead for two years and no one bothered to tell them. So it all started on the 20th of this month when artist, activist, and full disclosure, a pal of mine, Aaron and Sweeney, tweeted the following, quote, Hi, excuse me, I just found out that the professor for this online course I'm taking died in 2019, and he's technically still giving classes since he's literally my professor for this course, and I'm learning from lectures recorded before his passing. It's a great class, but what? End quote. Speaking with the Chronicle of Higher Education who dug into the story, and Sweeney explained that he was a few classes into the virtual semester at Concordia University in Montreal and really loving his new art history professor. The classes came in the form of videos, so students couldn't pose their questions via Zoom chat or something like that. So having a question on a recent lecture, and Sweeney decided to email his professor, Francois-Marc Gagnon. Figuring it was easier to quickly Google for his email instead of digging up the syllabus, and Sweeney typed in the professor's name, but instead of contact info, found an obituary. Now, at first, he assumed it was just someone else with the same name, but reading the obituary, he realized it was the same guy, 
His professor, who had already become one of his new favorites, had passed away in 2019. Though Ensweeney says he thought Professor Gagnon was listed as the professor and sending him messages, he realizes now the messages probably came from a TA. And indeed, Marco Deasi, a visiting professor at Concordia, is listed as the instructor for the course. But kind of just in name only. Quoting Chronicle, Deasi is not really that involved in actually teaching the 200-student course, which is offered under the university's E-Concordia banner. E-Concordia is a joint operation between the university and Knowledge One, a Montreal-based consulting services company. Deasi's role is closer to oversight and administration. My interaction with students is limited, he says. Deasi isn't an expert in Canadian art, although his specialty is art of the same period covered in the class. There's no reason why someone like myself couldn't be in charge of TAs marking student work, he says, end quote. And this bit is wild to me. Deasi also didn't know that Professor Gagnon had passed away. He started at Concordia in the fall of 2019, several months after Gagnon had died. He didn't know until he saw Answeeney's tweet. Chronicle interviewed one of Gagnon's kids, Yakir Gagnon, a researcher in functional zoology at Lund University in Sweden, who is surprised that the university is still using the videos and wonders about the intellectual property ramifications there, but did say that his dad was really excited by this technology and would probably be thrilled. Quote, I remember him commenting on the epiphany of realizing that if he records himself explaining a subject really well, that video can be viewed by an enormous amount of people at the same time and can be reused. He was ecstatic about that. He loved and appreciated that he could reach more people faster and forever. End quote. Nonetheless, it definitely raises questions about fair compensation and using people's content and likeness after they've passed, questions many platforms and institutions have been struggling to come up with great solutions for as the internet has evolved and content lives on beyond the individuals who make it. And it all has very Harry Potter vibes, with that history teacher, Professor Binns, who was so boring that when he died, he became a ghost and just kept going to work and teaching his classes every day. Some of the students suspected he never even noticed he died. Professor Gagnon seems to have been a much more lively and passionate teacher, but still. And Sweeney said of the situation on Twitter, quote, That feeling when a tenured professor is still giving classes from beyond the grave. There's job security, and then there's this, LMFAO. Also, like all dystopian, you can retire when you're dead, jabs at the institution aside, this is actually really sad, and somebody should have realized that. End quote. Which I think is fair. You know, many students like reaching out to their professors and forming relationships with them. I think especially now that virtual students can't just stick around for a few minutes after class or stop by their professor's office hours. And I know a lot of universities are under a lot of pressure right now, but letting students know that the man who's teaching them isn't alive does kind of seem like the least they could do. Well, that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go buy some shares of GameStop. Just kidding. I'm really not going to do that. But I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.